ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we're still in the chapter regarding how some of this ummah will fall into the worship of idols. Babu ma jaa anna ba'da hadhihi al-ummah ya'budu al-awthan. The chapter regarding what has been mentioned in regards to some of this ummah worshiping the idols. And we were in the lengthy hadith at the end. And we got to the section just after where it mentioned Rawahu al-Barqani fi sahihi wa zada wa innama akhafu ala ummati al-a'imma al-mudillin. That al-Barqani, he added on an extra section to this narration where the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that indeed what I fear upon my Ummah are Al-A'immah Al-Mudillin are those individuals, leaders who misguide the people, the Imams, who misguide the people. إِنَّمَا أَخَافُ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي الْأَئِمَّةِ الْمُضِلِّينَ هَذَا سَبَبٌ آخَرٌ السَّبَبُ الْأَوَّلُ الْإِخْتِلَافُ بَيْنَهُمْ وَالسَّبَبُ الثَّانِي وُجُودُ دُعَاتِ الْفِتْنَةِ وَدُعَاتِ الْضَلَالِ So there were two reasons for the fear upon the Ummah. One, <coughs> one was the differing that would occur between the Ummah and the raising of the sword of Muslims upon Muslims, splitting and differing. And the second reason, the presence of callers to misguidance. The presence of callers to misguidance. That is something the Prophet ﷺ said, I fear upon my ummah. So this is another reason behind the destruction of the Muslims. Another cause, another reason behind the destruction of the Muslims is those callers to misguidance. They are a cause of splitting and differing within the Ummah. And they are a cause 
for the enemies to then take authority over Muslims بأن يكون هناك دعاة ضلال ودعاة فتنة ودعاة فرقة وتحريش بين المسلمين كما حصل من الداعية الخبيث الأول عبد الله ابن سبا. So Sheikh Al Fawzan says, the presence of those callers to misguidance, those callers to fitna, to trials and tribulations of various types, those callers to splitting and differing and inciting between the Muslims, just as it happened with that original Khabith caller, and he is referencing Abdullah ibn Saba at the <coughs> time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and who was Abdullah ibn Saba, the head of the the hypocrites, all of those individuals who were planning and plotting against the Prophet ﷺ. He is described as Al-Da'iyah, Al-Khabif. Khabif, indicating something of a degrading and bad nature generally. That he was that corrupt and evil and bad caller, Abdullah ibn Saba. So the likes of him call us to misguidance, call us to splitting, call us to trials and tribulations and fitna. That is what the Prophet ﷺ mentioned as fearing upon the ummah. وَالْأَئِمَّةِ جَمْعُ إِمَامِ وَالْإِمَامِ هُوَ الْقُدْوَةِ الَّذِي يُقْتَدَى بِهِ فِي الْخَيْرِ أَوْ الشَّرْءِ An imam in the Arabic language, he is the one to be followed. Just like in the hadith about the prayer, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَامِ لِيُؤْتَمَّ بِهِ The imam has been placed in the prayer, in order to be followed by the congregation. The imam is there to be followed. That is an imam, the one who is followed, the one who is the role model, whether he is being followed in goodness or he is being followed in evil. If he is being followed then technically he is an imam to the people. The Sufis and the people of misguidance, they have their imams. But their imams are leading them to all types of innovation and deviance and misguidance. (coughs) So an imam (coughs) is the one who is followed, taken as a role model, whether it is good or bad. فَإِذَا كَانَتِ الْقُدْوَةِ مِنْ أَهْلِ الظَّلَالِ ظَلَّتِ الْأُمَّةِ So if that imam, that role model, 
is someone of misguidance, then the ummah will follow him upon misguidance. وَحَصَلَ فِيهِمُ الشَّرْءِ And then the evil will occur between them within the ummah as a consequence of them following in the footsteps of this imam who is misguiding them. And so they are all upon misguidance and evil occurs between them. وَيُرَادُ بِهِمَ الْأُمَرَ الظَّالُونَ وَالْعُلَمَاءَ الظَّالُونَ وَالْعُبَّادَ الظَّالُونَ وَالدُّعَاتَ الظَّالُونَ كُلُّ هَؤُلَاءِ مِنَ الْأَئِمَّةِ الْمُضِلِّينَ So the leaders, if there is a leader of a particular area upon misguidance, and the people follow their leader upon that misguidance, that is a form of the meaning of the hadith, the misguiding imams, or it could be so-called scholars that the people of innovation consider as their scholars, their ulama, but those so-called scholars and so-called ulama amongst them, they are calling them to misguidance and innovation, calling them to all types of opposition to the sunnah. Or it could be al-ubbad, Worshippers, a person who is known for his ibadah and worship, and yet a worshipper, someone strict on his ibadah, may well be doing ibadah that is actually bid'ah. And the people, they follow him. They say, but he's such a righteous man. He's always doing worship, he's always doing dhikr, he's always doing this, always doing that. But perhaps what he's always doing, the majority of it may be from bid'ah. But the people, they see righteousness and worship from him. And so they take him as a role model to follow. He's not an imam, he's one of the people, but he's a righteous worshipper as the people see him. And so they respect him and elevate him. He's always in the mosque, he's always this, he's always that. But perhaps everything he's doing is bid'ah. And so the people, they follow him upon misguidance. And ad-du'at al-mudhillun. Misguided callers. Misguided callers. They are calling to Islam. However, their call, their da'wah, it is misguided. It is away from the manhaj of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, away from the manhaj of the salaf of this ummah, upon a misguided and deviated way. And so that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, these are the people whom I fear upon my ummah. Al-A'immah al-Mudillin, those types of people who are taken as role models, and yet in reality those people are misguiding those followers of theirs. فَإِذَا قَادَ الْأُمَّةِ هَؤُلَاءِ قَادُوهَا إِلَى الْهَلَاكِ 
أما إذا قاد الأمة دعاة الحق قادوها إلى الصلاح والسلامة So if the likes of those misguided ones they are leading the ummah then the ummah will be led into misguidance and destruction but if the righteous and upright individuals who are calling to the sunnah upon the sunnah then that is where the goodness and rectification and righteousness of the ummah will be so that's why the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said akhafu ala ummati al-a'imma al-mudillin mafhumuhu anna al-a'imma al-muslihin khayrun lil-umma yajma'una kalimataha ويصلحونَ عقيدتها ويردونها إلى منهج السلف الصالح ويحصل بهم الخير. So when the messenger said those callers to misguidance, I fear upon my ummah, then what can be derived and deduced, understood from that statement is that the callers to goodness are not feared upon the ummah, obviously. The callers to goodness and righteousness, they are good for the ummah. But the callers to misguidance, they are the ones whom the messenger highlights here, are the fear upon the ummah. أَمَّا دُعَاتُ الظَّلَالِ فَإِنَّهُمْ يَصُدُّونَهَا عَنِ الْحَقِّ وَيَدْعُونَهَا إِلَى خِلَافِ مَنْهَجِ السَّلَفِ so the righteous ones, they call to the methodology of the Salaf. But the misguided ones, they block the people away from the methodology of the Salaf. And instead they call to opposing the Salafi methodology. And then the Shaykh, he says, Shaykh Al-Fawzan, all of this speech, وَالْآنَ فِيمَا بَيْنَنَا ظهر من يزهد في منهج السلف ويعتبره من الأمور الرجعية يعتبره من الأمور الرجعية ومن الأمور القاصرة ويريد من المسلمين أن ينهجوا مناهج حديثة ابتكرها جهال أو ظلال يريدون أن الدعاة يسيرون على هذا المنهج المبتكر المحدث ويتركون منهج السلف الصالح الذي فيه الخير وفيه الصلاح والفلاح هذا ظهر وقد أخبر صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه يكون في هذه الأمة دعاة على أبواب جهنم من أطاعهم قضافوه فيها الشيخ الفوزان says now in our time you see the presence of those they have appeared and they are here. Those who they belittle the Salafi methodology and they discourage the people away from the Salafi methodology. And they consider that the methodology of the Salaf is backwards. They consider that the methodology of the Salaf is backwards and it is deficient 
And instead they want the Muslims to tread upon this modernized methodology. This modern way of thinking and practicing the religion. Because the methodology of the Salaf to them is outdated, backwards, deficient. And that is exactly what the people of innovation used to say. The people of innovation of old, you find it in the books of Aqidah, they used to say with regards to the names and attributes of Allah, Al-Asma'u wa Sifat, they opposed Kharafu Ahl Sunnah, and they would say, Manhaj aw tariqatu ahli sunnah aslam wa tariqatuna a'qal. They used to say the methodology of ahlu sunnah, the ones who affirm the attributes, etc. They're talking about the Salafis. The methodology of theirs, that is a safer and sounder methodology. It is a safer methodology. Because the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah is affirm what Allah has affirmed for Himself. Nasifullah bima wasafa bihi nafsa, aw wasafahu bihi rasuluh. We affirm to Allah what Allah has affirmed for Himself, and the Messenger has affirmed for Him, and we negate from Allah what Allah negated from Himself, or the Messenger negated from Him. We leave the affairs of the names and attributes as they are. They said that's a safe way to go about things. Methodology of yours, this one, it's a safer way. But then they would say, but our way is smarter. We have a smarter methodology though. Yours may be a safer way to go about things, but ours is the smart way. Because they believed they looked at the names and attributes and they worked out the meanings and they worked out the interpretations and they used to put their intellects over and above the texts. Taqdeemul aql ala naql was their principle. The intellect takes precedence over the text, meaning when the text is there, if their intellect can work it out, can work out a good way to fit that in with everything they believe, then they'll do that. But if they can't, then they can't really accept it. If their mind can't work it out, how to make it fit with everything else, then they reject it. So they would say, that your methodology may be safer, but our methodology is smarter. We have worked out the meanings and the interpretations we understand about the names and attributes of Allah in a way that you don't. And that principle of theirs shows the level of misguidance. How can it be that you're going to say your methodology is safer, but ours is smarter? How can that be? The methodology that is safer is the methodology that is closest or upon the way of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and therefore that is going to be the smartest methodology. The smartest methodology is the one that clings on to the texts as they are, clings on to the way of the Salaf as it was. That is the smartest methodology. But they used to believe they are smart. And this is why when you read the refutations against the philosophers, 
Ibn Taymiyyah, when he talks about them in Majmu' al-Fatawa, in all of the books, they talk about how the philosophers, Ahlul Kalam, the Mutakallimun, all of those types of people, they were given a zakah. Some of them, they were very smart people, very smart, astute people, intelligent and sharp in their affairs. But, even though they were given intelligence in that regard, shrewdness, sharpness, intelligence, intellect, they were not given success in understanding. It's one thing being smart and intelligent, but it's another actually understanding the manhaj, the texts, etc. upon the method they are supposed to be understood. So the philosophers were given intellect, they said, but they were not given understanding. Intellect is one thing, understanding is another. They were given intellect, they spoke and they spoke and they gave explanations and interpretations. And when you, uh, their type of speech, when it is seen, you see the way that they write and how they explain and they go around in circles here and there and all types of elaborate speech. They had that ability. But that ability did not give them the correct understanding of the texts. And so here, the shaykh says there are people who belittle the Salafi methodology, and they say it is backwards, and it is deficient, and that the Muslims need to tread upon a modern methodology. And this type of speech... (coughs) It is exactly what you hear and what you see from so many of the people today. All of those groups from the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, all of those types of methodologies and offshoots of them talking about the modern methodology of Islam, the modern practice of Islam. You look at Al-Maghrib Institute and all of their different types of groups upon that methodology, the modern way of practicing Islam the modern implementation and understanding of this hadith, how it is to be implemented now compared to how it was implemented in those days. It's like one person said to me, the isbal, that the men are not allowed to take their garments below their ankles. One person said to me, but that's because in those days, in those days, 1400 years ago, the companions where they lived at that time in the deserts, etc., and the, the farms they used to have, then you needed to keep your clothes a bit higher. Because when you go to the farms and you go in the desert and all those places, you cannot have your clothes down below your ankle. They will get dirty everywhere, they will get stuck everywhere. That's the situation they lived in, so the ruling was keep your clothes above your ankles. When you're farming and you're in the desert and you're, there were no tarmac, no roads, nothing in those days. They said, that's why the ruling was there. Now, modern day, no need for it anymore. You can put your clothes where you want. The roads and the surfaces and all the modernization. So now, all of a sudden, this is the way that they think. But that ruling, it was only applicable then. And this hadith was only applicable then. Not in this modern society we live in now even to the extent of the beard and these things. 
They will say to you, no, but the society we live in now, you cannot have a beard like that. You men cannot have the beards anymore, not in this society. This is what they say. The Ikhwan al-Muslimin and their offshoots and those types of du'at and those types of ulama as they are called. They are ulama to misguidance, giving these types of fatawa to the people. You can have leniency with your beard now in the society. You can have leniency in taking out loans with interest. There is darura, necessity. You can have leniency in music. You can have leniency in all types of... Everything is okay. There is darura. There is necessity. There is this, there is that. There is a modern implementation and practice of Islam. And that is all batil. Yes, in certain circumstances... You may have rulings that apply in a certain way, but the essence of Islam does not change. The beard is a sunnah now as it was a sunnah then, an obligation. The prayer five times a day now as it was then. Not like the fatawa of the people, but we have to work nine to five, so now you can combine all of the prayers when you come home. Dhuhr outside of its time, Asr outside of its time, Maghrib outside of its time, just pray them all at night before you go to bed. Because now we work, ninth, my shift starts at 6 a.m. I finish at 8 p.m. So I just combine all of the five prayers when I come home. Islam does not change in this way. Five prayers in their fixed times then, five prayers in their fixed times now, up until the end of time. The beard then, the beard now, up until the end of time. Isbal keeping your clothes above the ankles for the men then and now till the end of time. These affairs do not change. But the people who are callers to misguidance, for them all of a sudden it has changed. Interest we know from the major sins. And then you get some of them from the Ikhwanis now giving fatawa. It is permissible, you can get mortgages. We have to buy a house. We have no choice, you can't rent. You need to buy a house, it's a necessity, it's this, it's that. You can get a mortgage and just pay it off. You can get the student loans, you need to get an education, etc. X, Y, Z, necessity, get the loan with interest on it. Do this, do that, all types of things they make permissible for the people. And this is <coughs> what the Shaykh is talking about here. They are, يَسُدُّونَهَا عَنِ الْحَقِّ those types of callers and those types of so-called scholars are misguiding you, blocking you from the truth of Islam, taking you away to this modern, smart implementation they believe in. And that is not an implementation or practice that is valid whatsoever. So, يَتْرُكُونَ مَنْهَجَ السَّلَفِ الصَّالِحِ الَّذِي فِي الْخَيْرِ they abandon the methodology of the Salaf within which there is goodness, وَفِيهِ الصَّلَاحِ وَالْفَلَاحِ And within that is rectification and success. And this is something which the Prophet ﷺ informed us of too, when he told us that there are going to be callers upon the gates of hellfire. Callers upon the gates of hellfire. Whoever obeys them, they will be cast into the fire. 
They said to the messenger when he told them there are going to be callers at the gates of hellfire. Uh, 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 when he told them there are going to be callers at the gates of hellfire, whoever obeys them, they'll be thrown in. They said to the messenger, describe them to us. Who are they? What are they going to be? The messenger said to them, they are a people from our own people, from our race, our nationality, meaning from our people, not strangers or foreigners or somebody from the outside who's going to come and misguide us. They are from our people. They are from our communities. They are from our societies. They are from our people. And they speak with our tongue. Meaning, this is not some stranger, some outsider, but it is from the people. They are from amongst you, these so-called scholars who rise up, or they are followed and obeyed. (coughs) And they are the ones who will end up calling you to the gates of hellfire. So, لا نجات لنا إلا باتباع دعاة الصلاح الذين يدعون إلى منهج السلف الصالح وعلى اتباع الكتاب والسنة هؤلاء هم الخير على الأمة So there is no salvation except in following the callers to rectification. Those who call to the manhaj of as-salaf al-salih and to following the Qur'an and the Sunnah, that is where the goodness is for the ummah. أَمَّا مَنْ أَرَادَ بِالْأُمَّةِ خِلَافَ ذَلِكَ وَابْتَكَرَ لَهَا مَنْهَجًا أَوْ خَطَّطَ لَهَا تَخْطِيطًا جَدِيدًا يُخَالِفُ مَنْهَجَ السَّلَفِ فَهَذَا لَا يُرِيدُ لِلْأُمَّةِ خَيْرًا سَوَاءً كَانَ مُتَعَمِّدًا أَوْ لَمْ يَتَعَمَّدْ As for the one who desires splitting within the ummah and innovates for them some new methodology or plans out some new type of schedule, new type of plan for them, that opposes the methodology of the Salaf, then that individual does not desire good for the people. Whether he does it on purpose or upon his own ignorance, regardless, if it is in opposition to the methodology of the Salaf, then it is in opposition, regardless whether he intended or didn't intend. And that's why the mistakes are not to be followed even if one of the ulama of Ahlul Sunnah made a mistake in opposition to the manhaj of the Salaf, then it's not followed. You cannot say, but he is an alim from Ahlul Sunnah, we have to follow. If it is a mistake in some issue in aqidah, some issue, whatever it might be, the mistakes are not followed. <coughs> وَأَخْطَرُ مَا عَلَى الْأُمَّةِ الْآنَ الدُّعَاتِ الْجُهَالِ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْرِفُونَ الْعِلْمِ The most dangerous thing right now the shaykh says upon the ummah are the ignorant callers who do not know knowledge in the first place. The ignorant ones who do not have knowledge in the first place, they are the most dangerous thing upon the ummah right now. 
وَيَدْعُونَ النَّاسَ بِجَهْلْ وَضَلَالٍ And they call their people, give da'wah upon ignorance and misguidance. أَوِ الدُّعَاتِ الْمُغْرِضُونَ الَّذِينَ يَعْرِفُونَ الْحَقَّ لَكِنَّهُمْ نعم. All the ones who are in a way deceptive. They know the truth, but they are calling to something away from that. يُرِيدُونَ صَرْفَ الْأُمَّ عَنْ جَادَّةِ الصَّوَابِ They want to take the ummah away from the upright methodology. And all of these things the shaykh has described there in these two paragraphs, they are all completely relevant and you will all be aware of these things. Ignorant callers, misguided callers, giving all types of fatawa against the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah, giving fatawa upon the way of the Ikhwanis, making everything permissible. The ignorant callers, how many of them now on YouTube? Everybody on YouTube, all of them from the ulama, mashaAllah, from the muftis and from all types of things, calling the people and giving da'wah, and they've never studied in their lives, some of them. Some of them have never studied in their lives properly. And yet they are now du'at, ulama, mufti, all types of titles on YouTube, mashaAllah. This is the reality that exists. That the people, they take others as imams. Whether those people are rightly taken as an imam, they are calling to goodness, or whether they are calling to bad. And as for the ignorant and the likes of the Ikhwanis and the Sufis and all of those who have innovated new methodologies, then those are being followed upon ignorance, upon misguidance, upon wrongdoing. So the Shaykh says, these are the dangerous affairs. And a Shaykh Al-Fawzan, he is very strict on this. In terms of da'wah, and in terms of ability. And many times in his books you see, when he's talking about a subject, then he might mention that particular topic and subject, and then if there's a difference of opinion in it, he then sometimes uses the phrase, you hear it now and again within his books it's seen. He says, وَبَعَضَ الطُّلَّابَ الْمُتَعَالِمِينَ يَقُولُونَ كَذَا 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 Like in the example of the 20 raka'at or the 8 raka'at for praying the taraweeh, there are opinions that exist among the scholars, whether it is only 8, whether you can pray more than 8, there are some opinions. So he says, some of these young students, mutaalimin. Or, or not young, but muta'ali mean pretenders to knowledge. Some of those who are pretenders to knowledge, they do not have knowledge in reality. Pretenders to knowledge, they come along and they say, it's only eight or it's only 20. And they sit there mentioning some of the evidences as though they are absolutely fully knowledgeable about the topic and the issue and the details of it and giving out the opinion it's this or it's that. And he says, this is from the students, uh, muta'alimin, pretenders to knowledge, because if you examine some of these topics, that's just an example, the 820, etc. But many topics in the religion, they are not black and white. Many of the topics, many of the issues have some differing in them. They may have some different statements of the scholars in them. There may be different evidences on different sides. It's never clear-cut, or some of the issues are not clear-cut. 
And so when students come along sometimes as though it is clear-cut, and the reality is it is not, it is an issue of differing, then that's when the scholars, they say, this comes under the etiquettes of the students of knowledge, that you need to know how to interact with a certain topic. It's like <coughs> when you come out of the ruku'ah, do you put your hands back on the chest, or do you put your hands down by the side when you come out of the ruku'ah? That's an issue which obviously you know there's a big difference of opinion about it. When you go to sujood, do you go with your knees or do you go with your hands? When you go down into the sujood, difference of opinion again. Is it knees first or hands first? These types of topics, the scholars, they say, Al-Amr fihi It's a difference of opinion. Lots of evidences exist on all sides. Al-Amr fihi That the affair has leeway in it. And there are many topics like that. When you, do, when you do hajj, when you do hajj at the end of hajj, the last thing you're supposed to do before leaving Mecca, the last thing is supposed to be tawaf al-wida'ah, the farewell tawaf. When you do umrah, you go to Mecca, do umrah, stay for a few days, then you're going to leave. Is there a tawaf al-wida'ah after umrah or not? Yes. Tawaf al-wida' after the umrah, the farewell tawaf. <coughs> Is there or not? It's one of those issues where some speech exists of the scholars, the jumhur. They say it is only mustahab, there is no obligation. But there are scholars who say it's an obligation just like hajj. Even the actual act of doing umrah, is it an obligation once in the lifetime or not? Hajj, is it an obligation once in the lifetime? Yes. Umrah? There are some scholars who say umrah is an obligation once in the lifetime. These are topics where you have some differing and evidences and speech of the scholars over them. Many topics like that, so many of them. So when a student comes along, it is like this. It is like this and that's it. That opinion, it's wrong, it's this, it's that. It is like this and that's all it is like. There is nothing else. That's when the scholars, they say that's incorrect. That is not the way that a student behaves with these topics. That's not the way that you deal with those kinds of issues. Because it isn't just like this and that's it. If I come now and say after the ruku'ah, hands have to go down by the side. Anybody here puts them on the chest, get out of the mosque. What are you doing? That's not how you pray. Mubtadi'ah, this, that, the other. Anybody who fasts on a, a, on a Saturday, Anybody here fast Saturdays? Get out of here. That's not the way you behave with these topics and issues where there is clear differing between the scholars. That's why they say, a Sheikh bin Baz, he says so often, that these types of topics, there is some leeway in them. Yes, a person may go there on his opinion, it's possible he may go there, just like scholars have for 1400 years. Scholars have gone onto that position, some have gone onto that position, and it has existed like that for 1400 years. So there has to be some understanding of how a student deals 
with those types of topics. And that's why they say, as Sheikh Al-Fawzan sometimes says, when students come along and they say, it's like this, and there's nothing else. He calls them muta'alimin, pretenders to knowledge. Because that indicates that when they believe it's like this and there's nothing else, that they have not understood the other opinion properly. If they had understood the other opinion and the rest of the evidences, they would know it's not just like this and that's it. It isn't like that then, they would understand it's more open and there's evidences and different things that come into it. So the Shaykh, he mentions here that the most feared thing upon the Ummah right now, أَخْطَرُ مَا عَلَى الْأُمَّةِ الْآنَ الدُّعَاتِ الْجُهَالَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْرِفُونَ الْعِلْمِ the callers who are ignorant, who do not have any knowledge. And they call the people upon ignorance and misguidance. The point is, the ummah is upon danger from the likes of those people. <coughs> so the Shaykh says, this is the danger upon the Ummah now, and we need to be alert and aware of these types of affairs, so that we can remedy them before it is too late, before it settles in. And then the narration continues, وَإِذَا وُضِعَ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّيْفُ لَمْ يُرْفَعِلَ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ And if the sword is placed upon this ummah, meaning if the Muslims start to fight between themselves, the messenger said, I fear then that would never stop until yawmul qiyamah. And, وَلَا تَقُومُ السَّاعَةِ حَتَّى يَلْحَقَ حَيٌّ مِنْ أُمَّةِ بِالْمُشْرِكِينَ وَحَتَّى تَعْبُدُ فِئَامٌ مِنْ أُمَّةِ الْأَوْثَانِ And then the messenger said that, the hour will not be established, until a person from my ummah goes and uh, uh, joins with the mushrikeen, al-hay al-muradu bihi al-qabila, meaning a tribe, a whole tribe or a clan from my ummah will end up with the mushrikun. Yalhaq, yani yatba' imma bi an yadhabu ila biladihim wa yaskunu ma'ahum wa yakunu min dawlatihim. And one of the meanings of that is either that a whole tribe or clan of people, a whole uh, a group or nation of people, that they will go and live amongst the kuffar in their land. That is a form of joining the mushrikun. Or they stay in their countries, but they adopt the methodologies of the kuffar until they apostate. And the Shaykh says, this is also something that has happened. وَوَقَعَ هَذَا كَمَا أَخْبَرَ بِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ فَفِيهِمْ مَنْ ذَهَبَ إِلَى بِلَادِ الْكُفَّارِ وَلَمْ يَرْجِعُ وَصَارَ يُوَافِقُ الْكُفَّارَ فِي أُمُورِهِمُ الدِّينِيَّةِ So there are people, the Shaykh says, who have gone to the lands of the kuffar, and settled there and never returned, and they ended up agreeing with the kuffar on their religious affairs. And he has a choice 
the Muslim goes and lives there upon choice. وَفِيهِمْ مَنْ بَقِيَ فِي بِلَادِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَعَتَنِقُ مَذَاهِبَ الْكُفَرِ And there are others who stay in the lands of the Muslims, but they adopt those misguided methodologies. <coughs> That's why the scholars, they talk about hijrah. If you live in a land of disbelief, then hijrah is obligatory upon you, especially in the circumstances, obviously, when you cannot openly, properly practice your religion. If they do not allow you to practice your religion in that land of kufr, then it is obligatory upon you to get out and go live somewhere where you can practice your religion. Or, even if, because many people will say, but they allow us to do what we want. Freedom of speech and all those things, you can do what you want. Have your beard, have your thobe, put on your shema, walk in the streets, they can't do anything to you. They don't do anything to you. Prejudice if they stop you and anything and laws and rights and human rights and all these things. Even if the second statement or the second issue is if you live in a country where you can practice your religion but because of living in that kafir land you fear the influence of them upon yourself and your family the influence of the kuffar upon yourself and your family, such that it may harm your religion, then again, hijrah is wajib upon you. It is obligatory to get out. If you fear now, things are happening whilst you're living in that land that are influencing your thoughts and your ideas and the thoughts and ideas of your children. And it's taking their mentality away from the Islamic understanding to this understanding of the kuffar, and their mentality is being taken away to the mentality of the kuffar, that slowly, even though they are allowing you to practice your religion, but slowly, your religion is being eroded. It is being taken away bit by bit from you. You're losing it. You're losing your religion bit by bit then in that case, hijrah is obligatory again. Do not say, but they allow us to practice our religion. That's only one part. The second part, if they are eroding your religion away from you, and you're under their influence, and you fear that it is influencing you, you are being impacted, your religion is being eroded, then again, it's obligatory for you to get out. So hijrah, it is established. And it exists and remains up until Yawmul Qiyamah. La tanqati'ul hijrah. Hijrah will not ever be cut off until when? Hatta tanqati'ul tawbah. Until <coughs> the time when repentance is no longer valid. And that will occur. La tanqati'ul tawbah. Hatta tatla'ul shams minal maghrib. And that will not occur up until the sun rises from the west. At the end of time, from the major signs, when the sun rises from the west, no more tawbah after that. And that is when hijrah then also ends. But up until that time, it is established and exists and remains. So every person needs to consider that and think about those affairs. Many people, they are taken away by the worldly matters. But the affair here, it is so comfortable. And everything here is so easy. 
and the, the hospital system and the NHS and the way that the roads are organized and the housing system and everybody becomes attached to the worldly matters, to the worldly affairs. And yet it is mentioned in the hadith in Sahih Muslim, a man who lived in the most difficult circumstances in this world, he will be dipped into paradise, dipped in and taken out. Just dipped in and it will be said to him, do you remember the difficulties of the world? He will say, I remember nothing. All of it taken away. So a person must give priority to his religion over the worldly affairs. Then it mentions, وَإِنَّهُ سَيَكُونُ فِي أُمَّةِ كَذَّابُونَ ثَلَاثُونَ كُلُّهُمْ يَزْعُمُ أَنَّهُ نَبِيٌّ وَأَنَا خَاتَمُ النَّبِيِّينَ لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِهِ That there are going to be thirty liars in my ummah. And all of them, they will claim that they are a prophet. All of them will claim that they are a prophet. But I am the seal of the prophets, there is no prophet after me. هَذَا فِيهِ إِخْبَارٌ مِّنْهُ صلى الله عليه وسلم بظهور المتنبئين الكذبة الذين يدعون النبوة This is information from the messenger telling us that there are going to be people who claim to be prophets. They will claim prophethood. And they are all liars. And this happened exactly as the messenger told us. حَصَلَ مَا أَخْبَرَ بِهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ It happened. And in fact, it happened even when the Prophet ﷺ was still alive. Even when he was still alive, people appeared claiming they are prophets. So, وَأَوَّلُ مَنْ ظَهَرَ فِي حَيَاتِهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم إثنان There were two who appeared during the life of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم himself. <coughs> One was مسيلمة الكذاب في اليمامة والأسود العنسي في اليمن مسيلمة الكذاب as he was known as مسيلمة the liar and Al-Aswad Al-Ansi in Yemen at that time. أَمَّا الْأَسْوَدْ Al-Ansi فَقَدْ قَتَلَهُ الْمُسْلِمُونَ قَبْلَ مَوْتِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم. As for Al-Aswad Al-Ansi, the believers killed him during the lifetime of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. So Al-Aswad Al-Ansi claimed prophethood during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, and he was killed during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. وَأَمَّا مُسَيْلَمَةَ الْكَذَّابِ فَإِنَّهُ قَدْ تَبِعَهُ قَوْمٌ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْيَمَامَةِ As for Musaylama, then there were a group from the people of Al-Yamamah who followed him. وَلَمَّا بُوِعَ أَبُو بَكَرَ الصِّدِّقِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَنْهُ بِالْخِلَافَةِ بَعْدَ وَفَاتِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم جَهَّزَ لَهُ الصِّدِّقِ جَيْشًا مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ بِقِيَادَةِ خَالِدِ بْنِ الْوَلِيدَ الْيَمَامَةِ So then, Musaylama, the other one, who claimed prophethood, 
during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, when Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu was given the Pledge of Allegiance, he then prepared an army to go out against Musaylama. And that army consisted of Muhajirun and Ansar under the leadership of Khalid ibn al-Walid. وَحَصَلَ قِتَالًا شَدِيدٌ أو قِتَالٌ شَدِيدٌ And there was severe fighting that occurred. It was a severe battle that occurred at that time. وَقُتِلَ فِيهِ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَمِنَ فَاضِلِهِمْ وَمِنْ قُرَّاءِ الْقُرْآنِ الْعَدَدَ الْكَثِيرِ In that battle known as the Battle of Al-Yamamah, many of the Muslims were killed. It was a severe battle that occurred during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu Many of the noble Muslims were killed at that time. Many of the Huffaz of the Qur'an were killed in that battle. The ones who had memorized the whole of the Qur'an were killed in that battle. And that's where you hear the story regarding the Mus'haf, how the Qur'an was all put together into one Mus'haf. It was then, when that battle was occurring and all of the memorizers, many of the Muslims who were memorizers were being killed in the battle. So Umar ibn al-Khattab came to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and he said to him, I fear we're going to lose all of our memorizers, the ones who have memorized the whole of the Qur'an. So write it all down. Write it down. So that even if the memorizers are killed, we have it, all of the Qur'an. But Abu Bakr as-Siddiq initially was reluctant. He said, but the messenger didn't write it all down in like a book, like the Mus'haf. But then Umar ibn Khattab continued, to uh, uh, convince Abu Bakr as-Siddiq about that until he agreed. And then the story mentions how he selected some of the companions. They went to all of the different memorizers and they wrote down and they brought together what everybody had into a what you now have like the Mus'haf, a full copy of the Qur'an. Because the companions, they never used to write down a full copy of the Qur'an. The companions used to have parts. They would go and memorize from the Prophet ﷺ. Maybe the first time when they memorized, they would write that down. Maybe five pages of it, ten pages of it, maybe a juz of it. They would write it down to memorize. And then they would go next time and write some more down for the sake of having it to memorize. So they would have sections. The companions would have sections. A few pages, a few pages, a few pages. But nobody had the full full Qur'an, all of it written out. So that was when Umar ibn Khattab convinced Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, we need to do that. Because all of our memorizers, the main ones who have memorized the Qur'an, they've been killed, many of them in the battle. So I fear the loss of the, the Qur'an. So that's when it was written down, six copies were made at that time. Six copies were made at that time. And they were sent to all of the different lands one copy was sent to Mecca, one copy was sent to uh, 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 the Sham area, Iraq area, Hijaz. Everybody was sent a copy in the different lands. And Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu kept one copy in his house. That was the gathering of the Qur'an into the Mus'haf as we know it for the first time. 
So in that battle, the point was here, in the battle of Al-Yamamah, they fought against Musaylamah Al-Kathab and his followers. وَقُتِلَ فِيهِ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَمِنَ فَاضِلِهِمْ وَمِنْ قُرَّاءِ الْقُرْآنِ الْعَدَدِ الْكَثِيرِ لَكِنْ فِي النِّهَايَةِ قَتَلَ اللَّهُ مُسَيْلَمَهَ الْكَذَّابِ عَلَى يَدِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فِي خِلَافَةِ أَبِي بَكَرَ صِدِّيكَ But in the end, Musaylamah al-Kathab was killed. He was killed by the Muslims during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. So they were the first two. Al-Aswad al-Ansi and Musaylamah al-Kathab, both of them claimed prophethood was the Prophet ﷺ was still alive. Al-Ansi was killed during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, and Musaylamah was killed in the Khilafah of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. Then there was ثُمَّ ظَهَرَ طُلَيْحَ طُلَيْحَ الْأَسْدِ وَادَّعَ النُّبُوَّةِ طُلَيْحَ الْأَسْدِ And then there was سَجَاح التَّمِيمِيَّةِ A woman سَجَاح التَّمِيمِيَّةِ وَادَّعَتْ النُّبُوَّةِ That's four وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ مَنَّ عَلَى طُلَيْحَ فَتَابَ إِلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَ طُلَيْحَ The third one we mentioned there He actually repented And accepted Islam in the end And then he fought جَاهَدَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ He did jihad in the path of Allah with the Muslims And died upon Islam And likewise the woman سَجَاح التَّمِيمِيَّ Repented afterwards and she also uh, uh, became Muslim. وَكَذَلِكَ سَجَاحَ تَابَتْ إِلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ ثُمَّ ظَهَرَ Then after them, المختار ابن أبي عبيد الثقافي في خلافة عبد الملك بن مروان ودع النبوة So then, some years later, in the خلافة of عبد الملك بن مروان So after الخلفاء الراشدين Sometime later, there was Al-Mukhtar ibn Abi Ubaid al-Thaqafi. Uh, but he was also then killed eventually by the Muslims. وَلَا يَزَالُوا الْمُتَنَبِّئُونَ الْكَذَبَ يَظْهَرُونَ بَيْنَ الْحِينَ وَالْآخَرِ And the Shaykh says, this is something that continues to occur every now and again from time to time. You get people coming along claiming prophethood. إِلَىٰ أَنْ ظَهَرَ up until our time, ظهر منذ سنين رجل في الباكستان يسمى غلام أحمد القادياني. Then the Sheikh mentions, everybody knows, غلام أحمد القادياني ادعى النبوة, he claimed prophethood, وتبعه قوم وصار له أتباع, الآن يسمون القاديانية. And they are here in Manchester. They have a mosque, I think. Oh, they have a place here in Manchester, I think. Ah, they have a building that they have made. And they exist even here. And they exist in the subcontinent. Uh, and they have TV channels. And they have followers. Followers of this man, Ghulam Ahmed Al-Qadiyani. وَقَدْ كَفَّرَهُمُ الْمُسْلِمُونَ وَنَبَذُوهُمْ وَلِلَّهِ الْحَمْدِ And of course... The Ummah has declared them to be disbelievers, believing that they have a Prophet, 
after the Prophet ﷺ, because the Messenger said, وَأَنَا خَاتَمُ النَّبِيِّينَ I am the seal of the prophets. لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِي There is no prophet after me. And that is as it is mentioned in the Quran, وَلَكِنْ رَسُولَ اللَّهُ وَخَاتَمَ النَّبِيِّينَ That he was the seal of the prophets. خَاتَمْ النَّبِيِّينَ بِفَتْحِ um, as for saying Khatim Khatam An-Nabiyyin And Khatim An-Nabiyyin Then Khatam is in reference to the one who seals All of the prophets He is the seal of the prophets Amma lafdu Khatim Fahuwa ismu fa'il فالنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم هو خاتم النبيين أيضا الذي كملهم وانتهى به عددهم So he is also the khatim meaning the one who is the final one the final one of them that's correct as well linguistically and khatam the seal of them the seal is something which comes at the end like you write your letter you put it in the envelope and then you put your seal on it so he is the seal of them and the khatim also indicating the last of them who finished off all of them and there are no others to come after him. فَلَا يُبْعَثُ نَبِيٌّ بَعْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم إِلَىٰ أَن تَقُومَ السَّاعَةِ There will not be any other prophet who will be sent after the Prophet ﷺ up until the establishment of the hour. As for what the people may say, but what about Isa alayhi salam? He will come back. At the end of time, is that not another prophet? So what do we say? <coughs> he will be prophet. Uh, he will be, but is he not another prophet who has been sent? He was, but not now. So he was a prophet, a messenger that was sent to his people. But now when he comes, he does not come as a new or independent Prophet and messenger with new revelation. He comes now as a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He is not a new prophet with revelation. He will be ruling by the Quran and the Sunnah as a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So that is not considered as a new prophet who has come. So the Shaykh says, Alayhi al-Masihu Isa ibn Maryam yanzilu fi akhir zaman kama tawatara thalika fi al-hadith. Naam, yanzil fi akhir zaman. ولكن لا ينزل بشريعة جديدة وإنما ينزل ليعمل بشريعة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم فيعتبر فهو يعتبر مجددا من المجددين ومصلحا من المصلحين سعيس عليه السلام will be considered as a reviver مجدد a reviver of this religion he will come and call to the Quran and the Sunnah and this Sharia and then the messenger mentions وَلَا تَزَالُ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْ أُمَّتِي عَلَىٰ الْحَقِّ مَنْصُورَةٌ لَا يَضُرُّهُمْ مَنْ خَذَلَهُمْ وَلَا مَنْ خَالَفَهُمْ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ أَمْرُ اللَّهِ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَىٰ That there will not cease to be a group from my ummah upon the truth, aided upon that. No one will harm them or, or, or betray them or do wrong to them, be able to do harm to them. Oppose them up until the hour or the command of Allah comes. So, مَعَ هَذِهِ الْحَوَادِثِ الْعَظِيمَةِ وَهَذَا الْإِبْتِلَاءِ الْعَظِيمِ وَوَقُوعِ الشِّرْكِ وَوَقُوعِ الْحَاقِ 
للمشركين من بعض القبائل وتسلط الكفار وقلة أهل الحق وكثرة أهل الباطل مع هذا يبقي في هذه الأمة بقية صالحة إلى أن يأتي أمر الله أو يبقى that there will be despite all of what's been mentioned that there will be people who join up with the disbelievers there will be splitting and differing within the ummah there will be arms taken up between the Muslims against each other there will be callers to misguidance despite all of those things there will not cease to be there will always be a group from amongst this ummah aided and victorious upon that truth and they will remain until the command of Allah comes. What is the command of Allah that will come? حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ أَمْرُ اللَّهِ What is the أَمْرُ اللَّهِ يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ But it says, لَا تَقُومُ السَّاعَةَ إِلَّا عَلَى شِرَارِ الْخَلْقِ The hour will not be established except upon the most evil of people. So just before the trumpet, is, the horn is blown, and just before the day of judgment is actually established, we know when that actually occurs, only the most evil of people are left upon the earth. Where have, all, where, where have they gone? Al-Ta'ifah, Al-Mansurah. Their souls are taken prior to that. The wind, as it mentions, it comes at that time. And it takes the souls of all of the believers. That's the Amrullah. That's when the command of Allah comes and they are all taken. So then after that, only the most evil of the people remain, the ones who do not even say Allah, Allah. And then the hour is established upon them. The meaning of this is those who remain upon the truth even if it is only one in number. It does not indicate that there has to be a large amount or a large group. It could be a very small amount, but that is still applicable to this. Uh, that nobody will be able to harm them from the evils, from their trials and tribulations. Nobody will be able to harm this group who remain upon the truth. بَلْ تَبْقَى عَلَى الْحَقِّ الَّذِي بُعِثَ بِهِ مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَلَمْ يُعَيِّنْ عَدَدَهَا The messenger didn't tell us how big this group will be, what their numbers will be. Are we talking a million people? Are we talking a thousand people? Are we talking a hundred people? The numbers have not been identified or specified. وَلَمْ يُعَيِّنْ مَكَانَهَا And the messenger has not identified or specified where they will be. There will always be some upon the truth. But where? Here, in the Arabian Peninsula, which country, which land, where will there always be some people? And it doesn't necessitate it will always be the same place. It could be in different places, but somewhere, somewhere, at all times, there will always be those who are upon the truth. فَلَمْ يُعَيِّنْ مَكَانَهَا لِأَنَّ الْعَدَدِ قَدْ يَقِلْ وَقَدْ يَكْثُرْ وَكَذَلِكَ الْمَكَانِ قَدْ تَكُونُ تَارَةً فِي الْمَشْرِكِ وَتَارَةً فِي الْمَغْرِ وَتَارَةً فِي الْعَرَبِ وَتَارَةً فِي الْعَجْمِ المهم أنها تبقى هذه الطائفة من الأمة 
لتبقى حجة الله عز وجل على خلقه So the time the uh, number is not specified There may be times when there are a large amount of Ahlul Sunnah Like in the time of the Salaf and Baghdad and, and all those places Full of Ahlul Sunnah at certain times in history But then there may be times in history where Ahlul Sunnah are a very small amount And Ahlul Bid'ah are encompassing all of the areas but the numbers are not identified. Sometimes could be a large amount, sometimes a small amount. And the location is not identified. It could be here, could be there, this land, that land. But somewhere there will always be some. And it is not specified whether it will be from the Arab or the non-Arabs, whether it will be in the east of the world or the west of the world. But there will remain some at all times. And so just to conclude here, قال أهل العلم كالإمام أحمد وغيره إن هذه الطائفة هم أهل الحديث أي الذي يتمسكون بسنة الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم لما ذكر افتراق الأمة إلى ثلاث وسبعين فرقة كلها في النار إلا واحدة قالوا من هي يا رسول الله قال ما من كان على مثل ما أنا عليه وأصحابي فهم أهل الحديث الذين يتمسكون بحديث الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم ولا يتمسكون بالآراء والأقوال وعلم الكلام والمنطق الإمام أحمد said this طائفة this group they are أهل الحديث in that time أهل السنة the Salafiyun they were known as أهل الحديث he said they are Ahlul Hadith, meaning the ones who cling on to the Sunnah of the Messenger. And then when the Messenger mentioned about the Hadith of this Ummah splitting up into 73 sects, that all of them will be in the fire except one. And they said to him, who are they, O Messenger of Allah? He said, those who are upon the likes of what I and my companions are upon today. So they are Ahlul Hadith. The ones who are clinging to the hadith of the Messenger, not clinging on to their opinions, not clinging on to the statements of man, not clinging on to logic and philosophy and other types of speech of that nature, but clinging on to the Quran and the Sunnah. وهم أهل السنة والجماعة لا كما يقول بعض المعاصرين إن الفرقة الناجية غير الطائفة المنصورة وهذا تفريق بغير علم سو الفرقة الناجية the saved sect الطائفة المنصورة the aided group the aided sect all of these terms are in reference to the same thing أهل السنة والجماعة those who will remain throughout up until the command of Allah comes, just prior to the establishment of the hour, when the souls of all of those believers are taken, حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ أَمْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْمُرَادُ بِأَمْرِ اللَّهِ مَا يَكُونُ فِي آخِرِ الزَّمَانِ مِنْ قَبْضِ أَرْوَاحِ أَهْلِ الْإِيمَانِ حِينَ يَبْعَثُ اللَّهُ رِيحًا طَيِّبًا فِي آخِرِ الزَّمَانِ قَبْلَ قِيَامِ السَّاعَةِ فَتَقْبِضُ رُوحَ كُلِّ مُؤْمِنٍ وَمُؤْمِنَةٍ وَيَبْقَى شَرَارَ النَّاسِ وَحِينَ إِذِنْ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةِ So before the end of time that 
that uh, nice or, or beautiful comforting wind it comes and takes the souls of all of the believers men and women until then only the most evil of the people remain and then the hour is established upon them that brings us to the end of that particular narration and that narration again the point of it was those sections talking about how there are going to be parts of my ummah who go and join up with the mushrikun and the title of the chapter was there are going to be some from this ummah who end up worshipping the idols <coughs> that is the end of that chapter Next time, insha'Allah ta'ala, we start with the chapter, new chapter, new topic. And that is going to be the chapter regarding magic. What is the ruling on, what is magic first? What is magic? How uh, and what are the types of things that occur within magic? And many of the things that you hear about, that is true. Many of the things that you hear about are true about magic and what the magicians they do. So we'll have a look at those types of things. Even voodoo dolls, it's established. They do that. The voodoo dolls, when you put a needle in it and somebody feels the pain and these things are mentioned. So there are many of these affairs of magic. We'll look into those from the next chapter, a a, a description of what magic is, an explanation of what it is, and then uh, uh, some of the rulings and the narrations that have been mentioned about it. That's what we'll begin with then from the next session, insha'Allah ta'ala. Remember, it's not next week, the last Saturday of the month, we don't have this lesson. The last Saturday of every month, this lesson, this lesson isn't on, Kitab al-Tawheed. So now it will be in two weeks, we start again, uh, and then we'll do three sessions we'll have insha'Allah before Ramadan. So in those three sessions, we'll be able to do... Uh, maybe a chapter or two chapters on the issues of magic, insha'Allah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that for today. Any questions, anything to add? You know the word deen, deen used for Islam, the word deen used for yawmud, yawmud deen. The yeah. same, same word? Yeah, deen, it's mentioned as one of the names of yawmud qiyamah, and it is in reference to judgment of that day. There are lots of different names for the Day of Judgment. And in the Arabic language, if you have multiple names for something, it indicates the importance of something. If you have lots of different names for the same thing in Arabic, it's because the Arabs gave importance to that thing. It's like uh, uh, the lion. How many different names in Arabic for the lion? You can have lots of different names for the word lion in Arabic. And that indicates the importance they gave to the lion as the, the alpha predator of the jungle. And the sword, the sword in Arabic has many different names you can use for the sword. Again, because of the honor that was given to the sword by the Arabs. And so the Day of Judgment too has multiple names like that to indicate the importance of that day. But Yawmuddin there is in reference to the accountability and the judgment that will occur on that day. Anybody else?
So the fears that a person may have for their religion in a kafir land, if a person says, but those same types of fears, they exist in a Muslim land. No matter how much you try to weigh up or make checklists that this particular issue occurs in the kafir country, but it occurs in the Muslim one too. And this one occurs in the Muslim one too. And you make a list. Your list for the kafir country is always going to be bigger than your list for the Muslim country. Always. Because the one thing that you've got in a Muslim country that can never be overtaken by the kafir country is that ultimately no matter what is happening, what oppression is going on, what wrongs are happening, what the system is, ultimately it is a land of Islam. Ultimately your adhan can be heard for every prayer. Ultimately you can go and pray in the mosques, you can, you can practice and implement openly your religion of Islam, you can walk around without these destructive methodologies being promoted in the schools, all types of things. You can make as much of a list as you want, but this happens in the Muslim country too. In the end, your list for the kafir country is going to be multi, multiple times greater than the harms that you talk about in a Muslim country. And even if you start to use that type of logic, which is incorrect and impermissible, to use that type of logic in the first place, to try and as though, as though to try and say that the kafir country is equal to the Muslim country, or even better than the Muslim country, Incorrect and false logic and impermissible for a person to be speaking in that way. The Muslim land is superior. No matter if you have all of the luxuries and the comforts, and no matter if some of the evils that you see here, they exist in the Muslim countries, even if ultimately it is a land of Islam, a land of a, a, a religion that is built upon the religion of the Prophet Muhammad, the Quran, the Sunnah, no matter how many uh, deviances there may be or there may be some weaknesses there may be other things nobody's saying you're going to go do hijrah to a land and you're living under the khilafah of Abu Bakr there there are going to be weaknesses there are going to be problems all countries have issues weaknesses deficiencies they are going to exist you're not going to find a country that it is under the khilafah of Abu Bakr Siddiq you're going to live like the Salaf but the Muslim country it takes priority and superiority without a doubt over the kafir country. There is no doubt about that. You think? Oh, did I mishear? Is it every, every last Saturday or just this last Saturday of the month? Every last Saturday of the month we don't have Kitab al-Tawheed. Every last Saturday of the month it's not scheduled. All the other Saturdays are on, but the last Saturday Kitab al-Tawheed isn't on. There's a separate lecture. But Kitab al-Tawheed isn't on for the last Saturdays. Anybody else? All right, we'll conclude upon that for today then. Resume in two weeks' time, insha'Allah ta'ala.